You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. You, you feel this this nervousness on the phone there? Sir, I've been trying to make an urgent phone call up there. Well, I don't think it's something I want to do on an overseas phone. You got to make some phone calls. Hang up the phone. Prank caller. Prank caller. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to Packernet After Dark. This is, in fact, the call-in show of the Packernet Podcast Network. You found your way here. Congratulations. You did it. We got a lot of calls to get through. I got to stop talking so much so we can get through more than three calls a day. That is my goal today and every day, and I will continue to fail at that goal. If you'd like to call in, 608-501-0718 is the number to call. New callers go directly to the front of the line. We don't have any new callers, although we do have some old friends coming to visit us today. Seth, why don't you kick it off, man? Hey, Ryan, it's Seth. Hey. Just calling in quick to talk about uh, the last night's episode of Packer Note After Dark. You were talking about, you know, holding and how the refs could do better and all that. And, you know, you know, to your point, that playing the, in the Super Bowl, you know, it sucks how it happened, but by the letter of the law is correct. And uh, anyways, you're talking about needing to be egregious and then later you're talking about the sky uh <laughs> the sky ref or whatever the heck it's called yeah and i got to thinking um well one it's like to your point if it's not egregious there's hand checking all the time so if you're going to call it then there's going to be penalties every play right. so that's where people get pissed off is it's inconsistent but i was thinking if you uh trained the train the ref to only call it on the field if it's egregious and then up in that sky ref booth, uh, you've probably seen them, you know, move cameras show it in the middle of the game from time to time. They've got like hundreds of monitors in there oh, yeah. and tons of people watching the game and different angles and all that. They even, I was kind of surprised. They talked about it recently. I think it was during the playoffs or something, but they were reviewing something and it was taking a long time. And one of the guys said, I think they've got like 27 cameras or something they're going through. And I was like, why are you, I thought there was like four. There's cameras. I mean, I know there's a lot of cameras, and I guess some of them maybe you kind of rule out, like, yeah, we don't need the one from across the room over there, across the stadium, but um, there's a lot of cameras. And again, I don't know why. I I understand, you know, there's cost to everything, but you're a multi-billion dollar organization. Hire five more guys. All right? That's a number I made up. But, I mean, you could have somebody watching every part of the field. They've got their own cameras, right? They've got their own monitors. You can put them in a dark room somewhere, and there's five guys, six guys, three guys, four guys. I don't know what it is, but they watched separate parts of the field. And to your point, yeah, they, they, they're they just more or less watching for maybe the less egregious things. And, yeah, unless you know, if, if the ref sees some, So basically the guys on the field are useless, but they're there because it's kind of a throwback thing, right? So you just keep it in your pants or whatever. We'll call and tell you when there's a flag. But if you happen to catch one, granted, we're going to call down and tell you to, to throw the flag anyways, but you just pretend you saw it, whatever, throw the flag. Um, and, yeah, we'll just we'll just continue to go along. And, and, by the way, if you do throw the flag, the person in that part of the field, let's say they saw a face mask or thought they saw a face mask, if that person looks at it and says it actually wasn't a face mask, it was, you know, he grabbed him on the shoulder or something, two seconds, call down, hey, pick up the flag, it wasn't a face mask, right? That's it. And, it, there, I mean, it's going to be weird. You're going to see constant flags, and then, like, they're going to pick it up and be like, there's no foul, foul on the play. Probably just stop saying that because it's going to happen so often. But I, I just I just would prefer that. 
I wouldn't even mind if there was one guy on the field and his only job was to stand there, like just get him a, a recliner to sit in and then he can just like throw the flag on the field, just kind of launch it, you know, as he's eating his potato chips. And then the camera pans over and he's like, hold on, I'm listening to what the thing is. All right, what do you got, Jim? And Jim's like, uh, holding offense number 79, you know, whatever. And um, so then he's just like, oh, yeah, it's uh, holding on uh, 79 or something over there. So you got to gotta take her back a little bit there, boys. Let the chain gang just handle that because I'm sitting here eating my potato chips, you know. I wouldn't mind that at all. I know the refs have to do other stuff like setting the ball or whatever. You couldn't do one. And you certainly wouldn't want them in a chair. Um, I would be fine with that. It would probably be a better situation. Maybe you'd want guys that are kind of in the action. Fine, put them there. But I'm going to want to make them gun shy anyways. Like, they don't want to throw the flag because if the guy in the sky didn't see it, then maybe it's fine. You know, like, who jumped? Was it the offense or the defense? There's a guy with a camera, and he can rewind it, you know? Throw the flag, and then as you just kind of walk over to the group of guys, you're just waiting for Mr. Cameraman to go back and look, and then he'll call down and be like, yeah, the offense flinched first. Like, all right, there you go. Jerry upstairs said it was uh, offense. Totally in favor of that. Sorry, I'm talking a lot. Go ahead. So just have a couple of people dedicated specifically to pass interference. Right. And exactly. uh, they'll whistle down to the field if they feel um, it was missed. And then you train the, the refs on the field to only call it if, it's, if they're absolutely sure it was horrible pass interference. Right. And uh, just get that ticky-tackness moved out of it. So- and, and again, they, they still don't even need, even if they miss it, who cares? The guy upstairs saw it. So it's it's not even that big of a deal. But yeah, you only throw egregious stuff. But at the same time, like if it's me, if something egregious happened, I'm gonna wait, and I'm just kind of gotta glance up at the at the camera and be like, kind of look like something was it a thing? And then he'll tell me like, yeah, dude, throw the flag. I'm like, all right, cool. Only thing I'll say to that is I think those sky refs need to watch it in full speed only. When you start watching things in slow motion, right. things start to look like penalties that weren't penalties. Because uh, you start looking at, oh, he was grabbing him and all this stuff, but you watch it in full speed, and it's like, that dude didn't get affected at all right. by by that hand check. And that is the fear, is if, if the entire game is slow motion, every play is a penalty. So, yeah, it, it, I think generally for everybody, we need to focus on the egregious, and then you can slow it down for, for the nuance sake. Again, like if you're not sure if the offense or defense jumped, go back, slow it down, see who flinched first. But yeah, you don't need to slow down every person, every play, because in slow motion, everything looks like a hold. Everything looks like everything. But you're right. Full speed. Did he actually impede anything? If he's able to complete his route, it's fine. Leave it alone. And then if you rewinded 10 seconds further, you realize the offensive guy pushed him first. So it's like, you know, anyways, just a few thoughts. All right. Bye. Yeah. Uh, again, there's a lot of nuance that needs to be, you know, like only fast speed, but then like maybe some slow speed, but then not. So it, it it's, it's never going to be a perfect system, but I would just prefer more oversight. And, and if nothing else, let the referees do their job, but I want it confirmed by somebody upstairs. Cause it's going to take five seconds for them to do that. And again, like you said, there's, there's two main things you can use slow-mo to kind of get a clearer picture of things, but with things like holding and everything else, I want you to look at it in full speed and and determine, did he actually impede anybody? Like, did did he hold the pass rusher and impede his pass to the quarterback by, you know, holding him? Or was his arm just in front of him and just got knocked completely out of the way because his arm kind of just got pulled that direction because it was on his shoulder and he did a rip move and then his arm got pinned behind the guy and, but it didn't, it wasn't a hold, you know? So confirmation. 
And again, it's, it's going to take them 10 seconds, and it's going to take the refs 10 seconds just to huddle up and think about it. So in the time that they're talking, somebody radios down like, yeah, dude, good call as a whole. Or, nah, just pick it up, leave it alone. Ticky-tack, pick it up. And, and again, people are going to get annoyed with this constant never mind, never mind, never mind. I'm fine with it. Perfect. Great. I'm glad that somebody didn't ruin the game. Thank you for catching that. Pick up the flag. Let's continue. I don't care. It's, it almost reminds me of, you know how when, when there's a fumble recovery, they let them score a touchdown so that they can review it? It's kind of the same thing. Throw the flag. We'll review it later. It's going to be a little annoying because there's going to be more flags, but let's just freaking get it right. You know what I mean? That's what I care about. All right. That didn't work. RJ, you there, man? Hey, uh, Ryan, this is RJ. Hey, I, man. I just wanted to comment on your podcast involving um, Rogers and the uh, belief by a lot of people that he was actually starting that uh, darkness retreat on Monday. Yeah. Um, and I, I would just like to make a suggestion. Um, you know, Rogers, I believe, uh, you said he's, you know, he's not doing this on purpose. I think he is. I mean, he, he is. He misleads, he obfuscates, he does things to create drama. I, I totally believe it. And he can get away with it because when he first started talking about his uh, darkness retreat, he made the comment that um, when he gets uh, through that, he'll be closer to making a decision. Right. Uh, and he's, you know, he's talking to uh, people who are not reporters, and he's not being asked the questions that uh, should be asked. Um, when is he having, when is he doing that retreat? Uh, when will he be able to make a decision? He says he's not going to hold the team hostage. Uh, I believe that the victims, if there are victims in this case, are the Packer fans. Uh, and to some degree, the, uh, Packer organization, although I think, uh, they're, they're, uh, self-induced uh, if they are victims because they've let Rogers, uh, at least through their words, make his decision. And- yeah, I, I just don't want you to get too far, and then I forget everything you said. I'm I'm mostly on on board with everything you said, aside from the very beginning. I, I think it's somewhat fair what you're saying. Um, the victims would be the fans. I agree that the victims also are the team, but you're right; they're in this situation because of themselves. I do think it's fair that Rogers is able to take time, but I think there's also a bigger picture of Rogers. <sighs> I don't want to say handcuffing the team because again he has the right to to take some time, but it's it's just it's a constant thing. And then again, w- with him not showing up to OTAs and everything else, there's just this constant feeling of we all have to bend to his will all the time. We all want him there. Everybody wants him there. The team wants him there. The players want him there. The fans want him there. No, he's not going to do it because he doesn't feel like it, and he doesn't feel like it's necessary. So we have to bend to his will. Everything is is the way he wants it to be, and it's just this constant thing that kind of gets to, to wear on you. Um, as far as the first part, though, again, I feel like there's a, a feeling that Rodgers is required to give us all the information. And if he chooses not to tell us all the details then we fill in the blanks, and if we choose to, which we don't have to do, nobody's required to fill in the blanks, you could just take the information and go, I don't know. He said after the whatever, so I don't know. But if we choose to fill in the blanks and then say Monday, and then we're wrong, and then get mad and say that it's his fault for not giving us all the details, he has no obligation to give us the details. You know what I mean? You're saying he's obfuscating. Well, 
how much information does he have to give? It doesn't make sense to say, you know, give me all the details or shut up. No, he, he can just say whatever he wants. I, I just, I don't, I don't understand that necessarily. Um, I, 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 I guess I get what you're saying in terms of it's possible that he gives vague details because he knows people will fill in the blanks and then they'll be wrong and then he can call them out. But, I mean, if he's setting traps and people are walking into it, they're idiots. Stop walking into the traps. Again, I, I didn't walk into it because there's no reason. Why would I fill in the blank and say he's going on Monday? That doesn't make any sense. I Granted, that's not what Ian did. Ian got a report, but I, I just, I don't know. I mean, if people decide to make things up and fill in the blanks with their own fake information and get all whipped up and get all excited and choose it, that's on them. That's their responsibility. Aaron Rodgers does not have an obligation to give us every single detail of his life and then if he doesn't and only gives us minor details because he wants to be somewhat private about where he's going and when he's going there, uh, which is his prerogative, to call him a drama queen because we take five seconds of information and, and get all whipped up and get all dramatic and get all crazy. So I can't connect that dot. And, and, and again, if he's doing that on purpose, good. Because he's, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's like you ever play like a boxing game on easy or something, you jab them in the stomach and they drop their gloves and then you just give them a right hook to the head and they just keep falling for it every single time. I mean, if he's setting a trap, which I, I think I even alluded to this at some point where, where he might be doing stuff like that, I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. If he's allowing you the ability to make a complete idiot of yourself and you fall for it every time because your entire job is predicated on making fake nonsense up and trying to drum up drama, and he catches you in that and calls you an idiot, good. That's a good thing. I don't think he's doing that. I don't think that really makes a lot of sense. But that's not a bad thing, because again, nobody is required to make things up and fill in the blanks and go crazy and, and be ridiculous. Take the information for what it is. And again, you can agree or disagree. A lot of stuff that Roger says I think is BS, but I'm going to just take the information. Don't fill in the gaps. Roger said this, therefore, I think that means this. And then, oh, it sounds like he says this. And then uh, da, 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 uh, uh. he comes out and he's like, no, dude, that's, I didn't say that. I don't know what you're talking about. It's like, oh, he's such a drama queen. <laughs> what? So, yeah, I, the, the, the second part, I'm with you. I think, I think, you know, this process is draining. And the Bob McGinn thing came out. I don't know how much of that I necessarily believe or whatever, but um, it would be somewhat understandable if the organization was slightly exhausted with the process because it is exhausting. And and we're kind of talking in terms of, you know, we may be not talking about the exact same things. Uh, if you had specific examples, it would make it a little bit easier. But just in general, I don't see people making things up and filling in the blanks being like, a trick by Rodgers. And if it is, then people are idiots for falling into that trap over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And uh, they will not or cannot communicate a date when the decision will be made. I just think it's a, it's a horrible way to uh, do any kind of communication. And in the end, I think the Packer fans um, are, are, are played uh, as suckers. Um, I don't, I, I'm like you, I, I uh, 
Rappaport said what he said right before the Super Bowl. I took it with a grain of salt. We have friends in uh, New York. Uh, they, uh, some of them want Rogers. Many of them don't want them. The ones who do want them because they want the New York media to hold this, uh, this cat to some accountability because uh, in Wisconsin, nobody seems to want to do that. So I suggest you do a story on the real story. And that is this guy has, has been able to say things and mislead the fans, which pay his 50 to $60 million a year. And I, I think it's, it's shameful. Anyway, I wanted to, to kind of give a, a different perspective. I, I would not um, be condescending to your listeners because they hear what people say as. Again, three minutes got them. Um, look, I, I my perspective is. If somebody says this is happening, you need to go read and find it out, right? I, I Again, I don't know exactly what you're talking about. But if somebody says, well, I don't know, I, I really don't want to go through the whole thing again. Um, just don't make things up and don't believe people that are making things up. I don't, I don't know what else to say about that. Um, I, I do see, and I don't know how much of this stuff is, is true or not, and it's just my head's kind of spinning, especially with this Bob McGinn thing. I don't know if you've seen it yet or not. Uh, go find it. It's under a. It's behind a paywall, but I think if you go to log in and then put in your email address, they'll give you a temporary login, and so you can you can. It's a podcast, but they'll also give you the couple paragraphs that are the meat of the of the thing. But he's he's basically talking and saying everybody in the organization is sick of this guy. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but then it, it reminded me of the article Bob McGinn wrote in 2021, or actually somebody else reminded me of it. He's talking about how McGinn was wrong back in 2021, but he didn't necessarily have to be wrong because the article here was about, and, and honestly, if you think back to that time, I was livid with Rogers during that period when he was not talking to the organization and he did that interview um, talking about... Uh, how he just didn't like how the team did things. He was just trashing the team, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but in the article here, it also talked about how he refused to come back if Gutekunst was the GM, which obviously did not happen, but it doesn't mean that it didn't happen, right? It, in other words, he may have said it and then changed his mind. But then the bigger thing here for me is the alleged text messages where he is trashing Gutekunst constantly at one point referring to him as GM Jerry Krause. I don't really know the story behind that or anything, but um, just constantly ripping on the guy and then having the audacity, again, assuming any of this is true, having the audacity to then criticize Brian Gutekunst for the way that he communicates. And then you go back even further and you listen to these stories about Rodgers given by former players about how he would trash uh, Mike McCarthy and... He's con- you know, he used to make fun of Brett Favre for being stupid, um, which is initially what caused that rift, supposedly, you know, calling him old timer and then uh, asking him what his Wonderlick score was and then telling him what his was, basically saying, I'm smarter than you. So, you know, you want to talk about where there's smoke, there's fire. There's numerous reports about this kind of stuff. And so I, I don't know. I really I don't know what's going on. And again, you talk to some players and the guy's a D-bag. 
He talked to other players, and he's a great guy. I don't know that there's been um, a ton of I, – I, has anybody ever asked anybody on the team, like, is this Jerry Krause stuff real? Like, did he send you that, or have you heard anything about that? I don't know if they tell the truth, but ask it. Um, it's hard to know, man. It's hard to put your finger down on Aaron Rodgers, and I get the exhaustion with it all. I personally – and again, my biggest thing with him is is I, I'm concerned he is a massive locker room cancer. I don't think he puts in the work. One of the things that McGinn said, and again, maybe this whole thing is fake, was that his he was basically out of shape. He came in, he didn't go to OTAs. He clearly was not working out in the off season or not doing enough of what he should be doing. He came in kind of out of shape. Uh, let me see the quote here. Here, let me just read. Well, I shouldn't. I should save this, but I'll, I'll give you this tiny little snippet here. Um, he says, this is everybody I'm told. This is Murphy. This is Lafleur. This is Gutekunst. This is the whole shooting match. They've turned the page. They don't see Rodgers as the guy who's really working hard anymore. They see a guy who, when he reported this year, his body wasn't so-called tight and strong as it was. Uh, they see a guy who blew off the offseason. They're done. It's a hard guy to be done with. In other words, it's hard to move on, but they're ready to move on. Again, I don't know if any of that's true. And I'm constantly going back and forth. One minute I'm defending him constantly because I think the allegations against him are unfair, like I am right now. But then you look at the the team that you want and how you want people to be, and then you look at how Rodgers is. And I, I just, for me personally, it's not congruent. I don't like his attitude. I don't like the way he treats people. I don't like any of this stuff. And, you know, yeah, maybe all of this is entirely fake, but I really just don't think that it is. It's interesting to me that you didn't have an entire Packers locker room jumping up saying that's completely fake. Maybe a couple people did, I don't know. Did did Rodgers even say it was fake? He had to have been asked about it, right? So, I don't know, man. Bottom line is I can't defend anybody doing anything wrong. If Rodgers is talking trash about Gutekunst and his coaches and his players, then I think he's very wrong, and I'm going to say it. And if people are making up stupid crap and then blaming Aaron Rodgers because uh, because they're stupid crap that they're making up. I'm going to call them stupid. It's just it's how she goes, I guess. I don't know. Hey, Ryan. Pack fans out there. Oh, damn dogs. Nobody else's dogs came crap in my yard. Sorry, I just <laughs> noticed that and Sorry about came that. out of my mouth. But uh, um, listening to the show, I uh, was listening to your talk about Randall Cobb and his his comments towards the, the comments about the team and, yeah. and whatnot. Um, you know, this is what I've been kind of saying for some time now is we need to get past the Rodgers thing because we need new leadership. Yeah. And the quarterback is the leader in the team, offense or defense. I don't care what anybody says. Right. He is the guy. And the guy we have right now is about self. He's not about team. He's about self. You know, we get love in there. Maybe he's not as talented, but he's about team. And that makes everybody else around him better. And if everybody else around him is better, we have a better team. You know, we got guys that are out there fighting for each other. We got guys that are out there putting that extra in. Guys staying late to do, you know, drills and, and hanging out to do extra film study and, you know, all the things that you need to do to be, you know, a Kansas City Chiefs, a New England Patriots. Um, of course, some of this goes down to the coaching staff, but, you know, players have to be self-motivated. In today's NFL, yeah. you know, you don't have coaches that are, driving and pushing and saying, hey, man, if you don't show up for this, we're going to cut you, and good luck. You know, you don't have that no more. The players got protection against that kind of stuff. Right. So the coaches can't do it as much. 
got to be on the players, and that comes down to the leadership, and our leadership is lacking. Yep. You know, it's been pampered for too long. They've been told for far too long that they got a chance just because they are who they are, which, you know, we dealt with that with Brett, too. You know, as long as they got Brett, they got a chance. Well, let's be honest, after the early part of his career, those teams weren't that good. You know, he had a couple, you know, the last one that he was on, that was a good team. But outside of that, he didn't have much. And Rodgers got the same stuff. Oh, you know, they, they haven't got him enough defense. They haven't got him enough this. They haven't got him enough that. And until, well, which he's never going to get past that, he's just got that ingrained in his head that the problem isn't him. It's that he doesn't have enough around him. So it's been an inbuilt excuse. So, yeah, we need a new guy that doesn't have that excuse. That's, it's, you know, he's got to prove it. And I think we'll be a better team all around because of it. All right, I'm going to listen to some more of your show. I'll probably call in with some more thoughts and comments. Talk to you all. Bye. Yeah, the hard part about this is that, you know, having a podcast, I also have to fill in the blanks, right? Um, And kind of step out into an area that I don't know. I don't know what's going on in the locker room, but all I can do is exactly what Rogers told me to do, told all of us to do. Take all the information and try to determine what makes the most sense. And I'm in agreement with you. I, I, I listen to what Rodgers says. I watch what Rodgers does. I listen to what Randall Cobb says and does, and not just what his stupid comment or like on, on Instagram. Um, the, the way that they talk about certain guys and the way that they kind of almost, in a way, condescend, the way that you know the little guys get crapped on to protect the bigger guys and the way that things are kind of set up that way, the way that, again, leadership is sort of this... Um, quiet thing where there's just an expectation that everybody steps up, but it, everybody's like their own independent silo and everybody needs to independently be good. And, um, you know, they, they go off on these, what happens on the bye week Does everybody get together and work or does everybody just expected to, you know, whatever, do whatever you want, but I expect you to show up. And then is there accountability? Like what's the accountability or, you know, you look at, again, I, I wish I could have a better example than the lions, but the lions, I think are a great example. When you have a group of guys that they're in this together, if somebody steps out and does something that is to the detriment of the group, there's an element of shame associated with that. You know, we're, we're in this together. We're a team. We work for each other. We, we fight for each other. And, and there's this feeling of obligation. But in Green Bay, there just seems to be this like silo mentality of everybody, every man for themselves. And you individually need to be excellent. And I, I just, I, I, it doesn't, it's not working. It doesn't work. And I'm just, I'm sorry. Like I said, I'm not buying the lead by example nonsense. I don't think that's a thing. And um, yeah, I, I, we, we need a whole new energy and mentality. I don't know if love can bring that. I have no idea. I don't know what it's going to take. But this veteran elitism nonsense, I don't like. And I don't think it works. And I don't like that the young guys, the young wide receivers have to kind of group up and be like their own little clique to kind of stick together because, you know, they don't get support anywhere else. I, I don't, I don't like it. Um, and again, am I making this up? I am, but it's all I can do is put the pieces together of all the information. Same thing with the Rogers comments. It's possible it's all fake, but you know what? That makes less sense to me than the fact that maybe Rogers is just kind of a douchebag that um, has an attitude and thinks he's better than everybody. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, but that makes more sense to me. Hey, Ryan, Steve again. Uh, update on the earlier group incident. Um, it was a Lynx. 
I saw some. I saw oh, the tracks. Wow. It was a bunch of fur. I know nobody cares, but it's kind of cool that you got wildlife yeah. walking through your yard. That's cool. Um, I'm actually calling. Uh, listen to more shows. And uh, Omar called in, and you were talking about the Bijan thing and our running back situation. Uh, I, I'm I'm of a you know if this kid's really going to be that good, if he's a you know Saquon Barkley type of guy, uh, that would be great to go around go along with Love because that takes a lot of pressure off of Love. And you know my thought on it is this: we we either cut or trade because I think we could trade um, Jones, Aaron Jones away, and you know so we only get a a third or fourth pick deal. We got out from under his contract. We got uh, we got two solid running backs, and then I know the worry is, oh well, we used the first round draft pick on him. Well, that means we got him for five years, and if we got him for five years, that means that after year four, we can trade him to somebody, and he's still going to be young, and if he's played real well, he's going to be worth a lot. So we could get a first round back for him. So that would be four years of having, you know, a super talent, and then being able to. Look recoup exactly what we spent for the guy and try doing it again. I think it'd be a great thing to do. I think we should do more of that. I don't, I don't understand our, our tendency with the Packers to pick up a guy and then hold on to him until we can't get anything for him because his contract is expired. You know, move people. You know, this is, this is a business, and these are pieces on the chessboard, and you need to move them and use them effectively. So... Yeah, but that's my thought. You know, we get a we get a great player. We get four years of them, and then, you know, into, going into his prime, and really, what a running back their their first three to four years is really the prime. We get that prime years, and then we get to give them to somebody else and let them watch and decline, and they got to pay the big contract, and we get another first round draft pick for it. So, all right, man. I'll talk to y'all later. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's an interesting concept. I I think. Obviously, the Aaron Jones thing just just came across the wire here, so it makes it, in my opinion, less likely. I know a lot of people think it shouldn't impact it. Take the best player available, like you said. It's a he's going to be here longer, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think that basically squashes it, which you know it was unlikely we were going to get him to begin with. I think this makes it basically zero percent. But just in terms of generally thinking that way, I mean, the, the the other thing that you could say, positive or negative, is that you could do that with anybody, you know. Um, you could t- take any position and and drop them before you have to pay them. Um, I think it makes more sense, obviously, with running back if you're going to focus on never pay them. But it it just I, I guess there's just kind of a conflict in my mind in terms of if the value is that high that you would take them at 15, then I would think the value would be that high that you'd want to pay them the next contract. You know, if 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 he's not that valuable because he's just a running back and we agree that we shouldn't pay him, then I think there should be some congruency that we shouldn't take him at 15. You know, there's, there's better value there. So I don't know. I, I hadn't really thought about it, but I guess on some level that does make sense. But again, I think with Aaron Jones sticking around, that's going to kind of, uh, in my opinion, squash that. So trying to make up some ground, but we've had uh, three calls come in in the last like five minutes. So <laughs> we're just going backwards. But why don't we go ahead and take a break? Steve's going to start us off uh, with one more call on the other side of the uh, the next hour of Packernet After Dark. 608-501-0718. If you'd like to call in, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. 
Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, Ryan, it's Steve again. Uh, I know you don't want to have this turned into a big, long thing. I remember the whole tip thing. I thought it got out of hand, too. But just a real quick, uh, uh, real-life example of the discussion that you're having about Omar and, and the cheese thing and how all that relates, um, the swastika. We think of the swastika now. We think of uh, the Nazis and right. evil and, and murder and all that other stuff. But um, the swastika originally stood for peace and love and, right. and all that and all those types of things in the – I think it was the Hindu religion coming out of India. That's where the Nazis stole that that symbol from. So there's a real-life example of how one group of people use a symbol to mean one thing and another group of people use the exact same symbol to mean something else. Right. Sorry. A little out of breath. Trying to move forward. With. Are you that's ever- all I want to do. That's why I don't put that in there real quick. Take it easy. Steve, do you ever sit down? You're always, like, outside. I always picture you outside with a, a big... You know those those hats with like the flappy ears or whatever, big old beard. Um, I picture you being like six foot seven, two eighty five, uh, with a with a big axe in your hand going to chop down a tree. But you're just hiking through the woods all the time. Every time you call, you're out of breath. But uh, yeah, no, that's I, I think that is a good example of of again my general issue with like symbols and then trying to say that the the meaning has to stay the same. I mean, things evolve, you know, we, we we need to detach from the symbols and look at what's behind it and what the people are actually trying to represent and trying to say with that symbol. Or, again, just, just mind our business and not worry about it. But we can't just assume that, you know, because that symbol meant something to me and that person is holding that symbol, then that person is clearly trying to convey what it means to me, whether that be good or bad, because that may not be the case. They might be trying to say something else, and if you're actually curious... Go find out specific, you know, go sit down, talk with them, find out what their views are, and then figure out if you want to hate them. Or, because nobody wants to actually do that and take that much time, again, I would focus on minding your business. Hey, Ryan. Um, I was just kind of curious. Uh, maybe we've already done this and just to ignore me. But for okay. the NFC North on the other teams, who are free agents that, you know, just to evaluate, see, hey, who, who might these teams be losing? And then um, if we want to do more. Maybe I'd, I'd be curious about the Chiefs and Eagles, too, and even you know, all the NFC playoff teams, but obviously that's a lot. You don't do that many. At least the NFC North. I'm just kind of curious. You know, how many free agency teams have? How much talent are they losing? Uh, yeah. Anyway, go back, go. Yeah, so the, the Eagles are interesting, more, mostly because they're about to pay uh, their quarterback, I think, a ton of money. Now, the immediate impact uh, usually is not felt. I mean, In other words, it's kind of overstated, like they're screwed now. Well, no, the first year isn't going to be that bad. The second year probably isn't going to be that bad. Then it's going to start to spike, but the salary cap has grown so much that it, you know, he's probably been surpassed by some other quarterbacks at that point. But 
But the point is, they don't have this free quarterback anymore where they can just do a bunch of stuff. Uh, but yeah, we can go through some of the teams here. Um, Chicago Bears, their wide receiver situation is tough. Uh, Byron Pringle, Nikhil Harry, and Dante Pettis are all currently free agents. Chase Claypool, Equinemius St. Brown, and Darnell Mooney are um, in the final years of their contract. The only guy that is signed on the team for the long term is is the last year's rookie, Valus Jones. Um, that's it. Tight end, uh, Cole Komet is in the final year of his deal. He's probably going to get paid. He's probably going to get paid too much, which is glorious. We get to sit back and watch that, especially since they have so much money. Cole Komet did kind of come through and, and show some improvement, so he's probably going to get overpaid. Uh, Trayvon Wesco and Ryan Griffin, the other two tight ends, are currently free agents, so they're kind of screwed there. See, and this is the other thing with all the money that they have. It's like, dude, we got so much money. Well, part of the reason is because your entire team is leaving. Um, Justin Fields is the only quarterback uh, that is long-term. Simeon has one more year left. Uh, Tim Boyle and Peterman are currently free agents. David Montgomery is currently a free agent. There's a lot of talk about going and finding somebody else. I think they're just going to give him the bag. I think he's going to get a ton of money from the Bears. Uh, Herbert and Ebner are uh, there for the long term. Kari Blassingame, the fullback, currently a a free agent. Um, The offensive line is in a much better spot, but Sam Mustafer is a free agent along with Riley Reef, Michael Schofield, and Dakota Dozier. and then Lucas Patrick has one more year left. But Braxton Jones, Cody Whitehair, Tevin Jenkins, Larry Borum, Alex Leatherwood, I don't think is going to ever be anything, but he's there. So they've got some options. They've, they definitely have some people that are leaving, but they've got some options. Um, along the defensive line, Mike Pinnell, Armin Watts, Andrew Brown, Angelo Blackson are currently free agents. Justin Jones, Jalen Holmes have one year left. Nobody is signed long-term on their entire defensive line. So again, all that money that they got, a lot of that is going to go to probably re-signing or extending some of these guys. Off the edge, um, Gibson, Lewis, and Al-Qadin Muhammad are in the final years of their um, deals. Dominique Robinson, who I believe was a rookie last year, is the only long-term edge rusher that they have. Linebacker is decimated of the uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven linebackers. Four of them are at this point gone including their starting two, Joe Thomas and Nicholas Morrow. And then Matthew Adams and Elijah Lee, along with Javin White, are also gone at this point in time. Jack Sanborn is, uh, and I know they like him a lot, but Jack Sanborn is basically it, along with uh, Demarcus Gates and Sterling Weatherford, who I've never heard of. Um, Corner, Kyler Gordon, obviously locked up long-term. Jalen Johnson, Kendall Vildor, Harrison Hand, and Michael Ojemedia are um, in the final years of their contract. The only other long-term option that they have on the team is Josh Blackwell. So right now, Kyler Gordon and Josh Blackwell are it, um, but they are probably going to be paying Jalen Johnson, uh, maybe Kendall Vildor getting an extension or something. Uh, And then safety, they're in a pretty good spot. They got Eddie Jackson and Jaquan Brisker locked up. They got Jalen Jones. They got Elijah Hicks. But DeAndre Houston Carson, who's been there a long time, I think a really underrated player. He is currently a free agent. And Dane Cruikshank is also currently a free agent. Um, It's also worth noting DeAndre Houston Carson is one of their top special teams guys. Their long snapper, Patrick Scales, is a free agent, so they need a new long snapper. And their kicker, Cairo Santos, is in the final year of his deal. I don't think the Bears are sweating that because I don't think they or anybody really likes them anyways. Uh, Let's see. Detroit, 
Jamal Williams and Justin Jackson are free agents. DeAndre Swift's in the final year, so they got to get the running back things figured out. I don't know if they're going to pay Jamal or not. Wide receiver, there's no real free agents, but they got a couple guys in the final year of their career. Um, offensive line is pretty well locked up. Jonah Jackson's in the final year, but I think he's going to get paid. He's done a good job there. Their defensive line is is real tough with John Kaminsky and Isaiah Bugs not being there. They've basically got like three guys locked up, and Michael Brockers is in the final year of his deal. But similar to the Bears, they don't really have a lot of good defensive linemen, so they're not going to want to invest a ton. But from a depth standpoint, they've got you know four guys and uh, three that are long term. Off the edge, they got Aiden Hutchinson. Otherwise, Harris and both Aquaros are in the final year of their deal, and Austin Bryant is currently a free agent. So right now, it's just Aiden Hutchinson, Josh Paschal, and James Houston. Linebackers, three of their six are free agents, including Anzalone, who is a starter. Of their safeties, three of their six are free agents, including starter Deshaun Elliott. Uh, Will Harris also, who is a big part of their defense, is a free agent, and C.J. Moore. And then corner is super rough, too. Uh, Jeff Okuda, who's been kind of rough, is in the final year of his deal already. Amani Aruarie is a free agent. Mike Hughes is a free agent. So, um, yeah, it's a pretty tough spot. Justin Jackson is a big-time special teamer. And kicker Michael Badgley is also a free agent, who I assume that they will sign. So they've got some work to do. Finally, Minnesota, um, most of the guys... Most of their entire team is in the final year of their deal. This is pretty wild. Among guys that have one year left, Justin Jefferson, K.J. Osborne, T.J. Hawkinson, Johnny Munt, another tight end, Kirk Cousins, C.J. Ham, Jalen Rager, Ezra Cleveland, their left guard, Daniil Hunter, D.J. Wonham, James Lynch, and Ross Blacklock along the defensive line, linebackers Eric Hendricks, Jordan Hicks, and Troy Dye, cornerbacks Cam Dantzler, uh, cornerback Cam Dantzler, and safety Josh Metellus. There's a lot of guys in the final years of their deal. Guys that are currently free agents, center Garrett Bradbury, uh, wide receiver Ola B.C. Johnson, tight end Irv Smith, uh, backup quarterback Nick Mullins, running back Alexander Madison, uh, and then defensive lineman Dalvin Tomlinson and Jonathan Bullard. And then the biggest thing is corner. Patrick Peterson, Chandon Sullivan, Duke Shelley, Chris Boyd, all currently free agents. So two of their starting corners are free agents. Cam Dantzler's in the final year of his deal. So long-term, they've got Andrew Booth Jr., who I don't think hardly played at all, um, a Caleb Evans, and Kalon Barnes, who are guys that basically didn't play at all. So corners got to get figured out. And again, next year, 2024, they've got nobody left. So they got to start to mitigate that by paying some of these guys. they got to pay Ezra Cleveland. Justin Jefferson, I'm assuming, is going to get just... I mean, didn't he already get paid? I don't understand this. Is he going to get paid again? Maybe he didn't get paid yet. I thought he got stupid paid already. He didn't. Wow. So that's probably going to happen in this offseason. That's going to be big, man. Justin Jefferson is going to get stupid paid. He's getting 30 easy. That's like starting spot is 30. You imagine that? Justin Jefferson. Dang, man. Vikings are in a tough spot. And then you got Kirk Cousins. That guy, always he always gets his one-year fully guaranteed deal. That is just a massive chunk of change. And Thielen, I think, is gone. Uh, he's not, I mean, his his contract isn't done, but he basically retired. So Thielen's gone. Um, so you got a billionaire Justin Jefferson and not much else at wide receiver. Alexander Madison's gone unless you bring him back. Yeah, there's there's some work to be done here. So hope that helped. I mean, obviously, it's a lot of 
things that can happen as far as, you know, again, Adam Thielen has a contract set up for a long time, but he's retired. There's trades that could happen. There's contracts that could come into play and everything else, but that's as it stands right now. Hey, Ryan, I know you're sick of uh, the call on the Super Bowl, but I'll be quick. You don't have to respond. Okay. This is something I haven't heard anybody mention. Um, I, it was a hold. It was ticky-tack, like has been discussed. Um, my biggest problem is each, every game has a flow. Sometimes it's a physical game, the rest let it go. Sometimes it's ticky-tack calls. It was the only holding or pass interference penalty called in the entire game. There was never a single other holding or offensive interference penalty. So that tells me they were letting him play. They were not calling ticky-tack because you know there was other holdings or pass interferences throughout the game. There just was. You know, that's not every call is made. And so if they're calling a ticky-tack, I would expect to see other calls. That's my complaint. But, yeah, I, I'm on the boat. The Eagles just shouldn't have let them back in in the first place. But I also just don't like to call. And all I want is consistency. And I think that call went outside of the consistency of the game and the flow of the game. So that's all I think. But, yeah, uh, go back, go. I think that's fair. He said, no need for comment, and I don't, I, I don't see any reason to. I think that's a fair assessment. Hey, Ryan, it's Brian from Illinois. Hey. A little insight to the halftime show. Perfect. In another life, I used to be a lighting technician for a very big lighting company. Okay. And we, I would go out. In other terms, I was a roadie for about eight years. Nice. We'd go out and do a lot of these big acts. Um, the impressive thing I would say about the Super Bowl show, which I don't think anyone really really notices, but the platforms moving at that speed with the cables that they're attached to, I think it's probably the most impressive thing out of the whole thing, just because probably. if one of those cables tracks wrong and it, even five inches, right. those platforms get thrown off and those systems lock down. And for it to move it move as smooth as possible, I think that was kind of cool. Other than that, the Michelin men looking people, <laughs> I think it's just easier for costume to, or the set people to just throw a bunch of people in some pillow suits, yeah. um, keep it simple instead of these elaborate costumes trying to get every 100, 200 people looking the same. Is a little tricky, so I think that's a little simpler. Um, as far as the, yeah, we could have had Santana come out and like stuff like that. Keep it simple. Maybe a rotating circle platform in the center of the uh, or, uh, the arena there, yeah. and maybe have yeah, just a few cool guests pop out. That's all you really need, to be honest. But. I mean, people want to throw a ton of money. Uh, right. These companies that build these products and these platforms, and I mean, they'll give you a show, whatever you. They'll ask for the money, and if you got it, they can do anything you want. But I think it's kind of a little bit of that. <laughs> um, yeah, man, take it easy. Have a good one. Yeah, I, th- I think the the goal is just make it big. You know, it's kind of like we talk about with Fast and Furious. It's all about just big, not good just big. And it was, it was big, you know, moving, floating platforms and lots of dancers doing kind of weird things and, uh, in puffy suits. Uh, it was big. So I'll give them that. Hey Ryan, I left out, uh, my other thought, which was 
uh, the auto tuning and the um, lip syncing <laughs> drives me nuts. Right. But in a stadium that does not have the proper speakers set up, um, if you were to go live, it would sound like garbage, right. especially when you're trying to put it on TV. The product would just look like trash. So that's the other part that just sucks is you got a bunch of people partially lip syncing. Some do a good job of singing over their tracks, but that sort of stuff takes me out of it too. So really the, I mean, let's go back to bringing uh, the UW band out, all the, <laughs> yeah. uh, doing, um, some of that sort of stuff, I guess. What I don't know. Have a good one, but. Yeah, I think you could do some really cool, like, again, they they want big, so they want big stars and big names. I think, like, a drum line would get me more jacked up, you know what I mean? Like, a, you could do a college band. Some of those are pretty hardcore, especially with uh, the formations and everything that they do. I think you could do some cool stuff to get you kind of jacked up for a football game and not, you know, having a pregnant lady grab herself on TV who's lip-syncing her music. You know, I mean, to each their own, but... I think one kind of says like football and the other one is just um, something else that is a thing that you could watch if you felt like it. Hey, Ryan, this is Trucker Bob. Hey, Trucker Bob. Uh, just to let you know, after we left the cornfields of Iowa, we ended up in San Diego. Dang. And would you believe it? It was only 46 degrees down there. So what? it's still cold. I was looking forward a nice warm San Diego. That's not right. Well, anyways, uh, we're in Missouri heading for uh, Pennsylvania tonight. There you go. And so we're doing a cross-country run. Anyways, I have a question for you. You were talking about domed stadiums and how um, Chicago's probably going to build one, which yep. leaves Green Bay the only one left in the division without a domed stadium. My question is this. If enough teams go dome stadiums, when it comes to the playoffs, can dome stadium teams eventually, because they build their team around dome stadiums, have advantage in the playoffs heading for the Super Bowl? Because if you have a dome stadium, you're going to build a dome stadium team, which Green Bay does not do. So eventually, over time, my question is, will Green Bay be in a disadvantage by not going to a dome stadium. Thank you. Have a good night and enjoy. I think it makes sense. I mean, I'd, I'd have to think about it a little bit and hear some other perspectives, but I think it does make sense. I mean, if if the majority of the time, well, not majority, 50% of the time you're playing in domes and you have some kind of a disadvantage, especially like in the playoffs, you know, everybody's playing in a dome. Everybody's used to playing in a dome. It's how they do it. You're going to have to go into a dome um, to win. I mean, clearly the Super Bowl, even it, let, let's say we win the NFC. And so now everybody come, has to come here. It's like, ha, ha, ha. Well, now we have an advantage because you're built for dome and we're built for outside, which, you know, I don't know that that's 100%, but a slight advantage. But where's the Super Bowl played? It's going to be played in a dome. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that there's some truth to that. Uh, most teams are going to be playing in a dome, and we're going to be playing outside. The other thing I would wonder about, um, 
And it probably won't happen. I think, if, if nothing else, Green Bay seems to be grandfathered into just about everything. But, you know, what if Green Bay was the last team left without a dome? Would would they start putting pressure on Green Bay? You know, especially as everybody every everybody and everything starts to get softer. Um, would, would it be inhumane to have people ask to play in a stadium with, uh, you know, negative temperatures? Would, you know, what, what if one of the players gets pneumonia? What if one of the, the, the people in the stands get frostbite or something? You know what I mean? They're going to start putting pressure on them that this is inhumane. We're going to be canceling games. You guys need to put a dome on this thing. This isn't right. Um, I don't know if it would ever come to that, and we're talking way down the road, but it's just something that I would find interesting if, you know, because now we're used to it. Like, it's glorified. Like, a lot of teams have outdoor stadiums, and you got rain and snow and all this. But you think about an, another generation coming up where all football stadiums have domes. And then you got this weird one where it's like they don't even have a roof. Like, why wouldn't you have a roof on your stadium? I don't understand. And it's like snowing and it's cold. Like, that's stupid, right? They don't understand the allure of it, the the history of it, the like, this is just a thing. No, that they're the people coming up are going to look at it and just see this weird place that does this weird thing that nobody does. And I wonder if opinions would change on uh, that being seen as sort of inhumane or just stupid or whatever. I don't know. Hey, Ryan, it's Nate. I uh, wanted to call in because I actually have a question for Jersey Mike. Cause, oh, uh, it was nice. Funny enough, Jersey Mike is our next caller. Uh, to have him calling back in again. I always love when he calls in. Um, but I have a question kind of regarding the Super Bowl, um, and it's kind of a question that I think a lot of people want want an answer to. Why are Eagles fans just the absolute worst? Like, why specifically? What What went wrong in their lives in their state, or why are they just such dumb that destroy their entire city? <laughs> And, and and what's up with the battery thing? Like I, I know he, you know, Jersey Mike, you're you're kind of from the East Coast. I'm guessing you've had more interactions with Eagles fans than I have. I've only had like two or three in my life, none of them positive for obvious reasons. Um, but yeah, I just want to know if maybe you have some insight because my theory, and this is just a theory, is that a long time ago, the <laughs> nuclear waste got dumped into uh, the landfill over there on the East Coast. And it turned a bunch of the trash bags into sentient beings. And they all moved over to Philadelphia and decided to start a football team. Yeah. Um, that's my theory is that they're all sentient human trash bags okay. uh, created from nuclear waste. Maybe I'm wrong. You know, I'm, I'm wrong about a lot of things. Uh, so just, just, uh, just a question. Go back. Go. Well, yeah, I look forward to Jersey Mike responding. I will say though, we need to be very careful about a football team starting up in Palestine, Ohio, where uh, you know we had a nuclear waste disaster taking place. Watch out for the trash bags uh, rising up against the community and starting a football team. Jersey Mike, man, you're in high demand. What's going on? Hey, it's Jersey Mike. Hey. So uh, I'm <laughs> I'm a little bit off with everybody on the running back. All right. Like, yeah, we could, if he falls, get a Bijan, because I think he's going to go early like everybody else is thinking. We could get a Bijan. Bijan's I I like him, but honestly, I'm not, I'm not sold on him. Yeah. Yeah, I, I am. I'm in love with a Jameer Gibbs. I mean, he is electric. Yeah. But still, 
you know, I don't want to move up for a running back. I don't want to waste any of our draft picks. No, and I there's one up. guy that's sitting there that's tempting me. And I'm thinking that if we get a tight end in the first round, the mayor, or maybe they 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 take a Washington real early because, yeah. you know, maybe they know something we don't. But I think the perfect running back to complement this backfield would be a, a guy by the name of Kendra Miller or Kendra Miller at a TCU. Okay. Talk about a running back who is short, stout, and has got contact balance. I mean, you, there, there's going to be a lot of those plays where you go into this highlights and you say, oh, there's wide open holes, he's running through them. But then you're also going to see where, okay, there's a hole here that he made happen, and then he's going to make a few guys miss. Oh, and he's also going to spin out of tackles. He's going to break tackles. He's going to power through, which we think should be tackles. And, and he's just like – I'm not going to say he runs like Aaron Jones because it's different. Um, they don't have, like, the same move style, but they use similar style. They use similar abilities, or they use their abilities in a way to get a similar effect, where Jones is more suave and swifty. Condre Miller is more uh, contact agile and and just swifty. Like, like he'll you'll get up around you know the waist and he'll just power through with a with a spin move and then keep his legs driving. Where Jones he'll hit you with a stiff arm and and kind of like duck and dive out your way. Um, I I am really impressed by Andre Miller. I, I think you got to take a look at him. I think that would be my guy. I, I would take him in the second. Honestly, a lot of people ain't looking at him like that, but I would take him in the second. Yeah. He's a really good looking running back. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So again, the the Aaron Jones thing to me, which again, my assessment is that it's it's a two year commitment for Aaron Jones. I don't know if we go first or second round, but let's say you're wrong about that, but right about Kendra Miller. In other words, we grab him in the fourth round. I don't want to say third round. I would, but you know, I mean, you you know. But yeah, man. I mean, I, first of all, it's not hard to get me to fall in love with a running back. I just. I feel like running backs in college just dominate. It's just what they do. But we may have—I don't remember if we talked about him before. But six foot two twenty, that in and of itself, that's my jam. If if, if you asked me to build a running back, he'd probably be about that. Maybe two thirty if I wanted to just cheat like Madden mode and be like, no, but it's all muscle kind of thing, you know. But sort of that low center of gravity. You know, he's not tall. He's not six three. He's six foot. Could even give me five eleven. I'd be good with that. But he's he's thick, you know, two twenty. But yeah, PFF grade. He's been great. Basically, as a rookie, 73 grade, went up to an 83 and then an 85 this year. Rushing grade, 79.85, and this year was an 89. Uh, average is 6.7 yards per attempt, 26 touchdowns and six fumbles in his three years. Um, 3.83 yards after contact per attempt, 112 missed tackles forced. Basically had zero bad games, extremely consistent. He didn't have any games in the 80s despite his 85 grade, but just consistent every single week from... 60 to 78. But here, here's what I'll say. I think you look at a guy like Kendra Miller, because I, I watched his game against K-State just because, you know, you mentioned him. I want to look at him. I do like him. I really do. I think when you watch guys like Miller, it really just hammers home the point about why you shouldn't take a guy like Bijan and should invest in the offensive line, because you watch him and say, what could this guy do behind a good offensive line? He'd freaking dominate. And here's the thing. 
I bet I could pick 15 guys where you could say that same thing. And it's why teams like the 49ers grab whoever, put it in their offensive system behind their offensive line, and they do a good job. It's why the Vikings did that for years, right? Even when they had their number one guy and you assume this guy is elite, and then he goes down and what happens? The number two guy comes in and dominates. And then he goes down, the number three guy comes in and he dominates. They've been doing that for years. So, um, and I don't even know if offensive line, because some of these teams, like the, the Seahawks were doing it. They don't have a good offensive line, at least not pass blocking. But if you can be a good rushing team, good run blocking, good scheme, good whatever, I just don't know. I mean, don't get me wrong. Bijan just makes things happen. So it's what makes Aaron Jones so special. Even when there's nothing there, and even when you don't have a good offensive line, he can make magic happen. But if you invest in your offensive line and get that going to where you can be a really good run-blocking team, there are so many guys, so many guys that can make magic out of this. And I, I have zero doubt in my mind Kendra Miller, who's 20 years old, six foot two twenty, extremely consistent, would absolutely dominate. Now, there's only a handful of guys that can probably pull that off if you don't have a great offensive line, but it just it just reinforces that point, right? I mean, he's I, honestly watching him, he kind of reminded me of Bijan Light. He's got the spin move. He's got the low center of gravity. He's got the balance. He's got the power, those, those quick cuts, but he's just not quite as, you know, like one of the biggest things I notice is he'll make those kinds of cuts that Bijan makes all the time, but is zero to 60. You know, that burst to get back up to speed after you make that cut, it's kind of like, you know, kind of a slow revving back up. And, you know, a lot of guys catch him from behind and the shoestring tackles, he kind of goes down a lot. I mean, he'll, he'll smack into people pretty hard, but somebody grabs his foot, he's going down. So, I mean, he's not this elite whatever. But again, get a good offensive line. He's going to dominate, just like Aaron Jones, just like A.J. Dillon, and just like, 10, 15 other running backs in this class would. So, yeah, that, that is my uh, big takeaway. I'm, I'm fine with a guy like Kendra for sure. But I think, um, I think we just hammer this offensive line and getting a real big punishing tight end, whether that be Mayer in the first, Washington in the first or second or whatever it is, and uh, trying to continue to build up this offensive line. Hopefully that means guys like Zach Tom stepping up can maybe better secure that right tackle spot. Maybe we look at alternatives at center and right guard. I don't really know. Doubt it, but maybe. Maybe Osiris Torrance is an option. I doubt it because I don't think we take him at 15. I don't think we trade back for him, and I certainly don't think we get him in the second round, but you get what I'm saying. Big, punishing, road-grading kind of a guy, and, and then it doesn't matter, man. And then on top of that, what does Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon look like with that situation, you know? Just domination. So, yeah, I like him. I like Andre Miller. Um, Again, I'm 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 sure if you guys continue to rattle off what running backs you like, I'm gonna watch and be like, yeah, dude's awesome. We should get him. I'm all for it. Anyways, uh, I'm gonna leave it at that for now. You guys have yourselves a fantastic rest of your day. I will talk to you later. Bye bye.